0: My name is Scott Nye and this is Talking Radical Radio.
1: Thanks to the help of social media and the internet, there is quite a lot of factual and helpful information that's being put out But while there is a lot of very good factual information, there is also a ton of misinformation and disinformation. And one thing that I've seen personally is there is a large lack in understanding of how to tell the difference between the two.
0: That's the voice of Victoria Romero. They, Emily Tang, and Matthew Johnson are today's guests on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. Victoria Romero and Emily Tang are university students and members of the National Youth Advisory Council for an organization called Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights, which engages in public education, health promotion, service provision, and policy advocacy related to sexual and reproductive health and rights in Canada and globally. Matthew Johnson is the director of education for MediaSmarts, an organization focused on promoting digital media literacy. They talk with me today about issues of mis- and disinformation when it comes to sexual health. This is in the context of this year's Sexual and Reproductive Health Awareness Week, or SRH Week, a campaign from Action Canada that each year focuses on a topic related to sexual health and offers events and resources on that topic to the general public, to healthcare providers, and to other audiences. This year's SRH Week runs from February 13th to 17th, and its theme will be Get the Fact. Today's information environment is, to put it mildly, challenging. Of course, there's nothing new about dominant ways of knowing the world that exalt the already powerful and further marginalize the oppressed, and there's a long history of the use of disinformation as a tool to accomplish nefarious ends. But as technology has shifted, we've ended up with an information system that is more chaotic, harder to navigate, and seemingly more vulnerable to manipulation than ever before. Mainstream institutions that produce and circulate knowledge, like schools, newspapers, and governments, continue their role in reproducing settler colonialism, white supremacy, capitalism, patriarchy, heterosexism, ableism, cissexism, and more. But there seems to be more space for reactionary movements, from last decade's Gamergate to today's growing far-right, to use sensationalism, distortion, and deception to grow their base and make all of those things sharply worse. The prevalence of misinformation and disinformation when it comes to sexual and reproductive health and rights is also nothing new. In some ways, you could even argue that things have gotten better. With the internet, there is more opportunity for young people to find good information for themselves, compared to years gone by. But while it may be more possible to find good information today than in the past, the good stuff is often diluted in a sea of information that is wrong, harmful, and even malicious. Barriers remain a factor, whether that is the uneven availability of internet access, or the fear of getting caught searching particular topics online. Sex-related misinformation circulates widely due to things like the reach of social media influencers who just don't know what they're talking about, and the pervasiveness of clickbait. Memes and jokes that are stigmatizing, oppressive, or just plain wrong travel far and fast. And of course, it can be really hard to know where to look for good information, and it can be hard to recognize it when you find it. And finally, there is the deliberately circulated disinformation, particularly from sources pushing a range of right and far-right political agendas, from the demonization of LGBTQ people, to lies about abortion, to all sorts of things that are meant to amplify sexual stigma and shame. This year's SRH Week is intervening in all of this. It is circulating resources with inclusive, evidence-based information about sexual and reproductive health, and offering supports to people to help them develop media literacy skills for figuring out how to navigate our information environment around these topics. And Mediasmarts has its own spectrum of resources and programming, both for media literacy in general, and a few specific to questions of sexual health. And of course, there's also value not just to consuming better information, and to becoming a better consumer of information, but to intervening ourselves in the information landscape, using our voices to demand change, insisting on more and better representation in decision-making roles for those who are most directly impacted, and working collectively to transform those institutions that exert power over how knowledge is produced and circulated. I speak with Romero, Tang, and Johnson about this year's SRH Week campaign and about combating mis- and disinformation related to sexual and reproductive health and rights.
1: My name is Victoria Romero. I am currently a university student studying political studies. My pronouns are she, they. My name is Emily Tang. I am a university student
2: as well. I'm currently studying kinesiology at the University of Saskatchewan. Victoria and I are both part of the Action Canada National Youth Advisory Council, our work is specifically focused on all things related to sexual health and access to that information for the Canadian public. A lot of our work revolves around abortion access, STBBI,
1: so that's sexual transmitted infections and bloodborne infection testing. Action Canada is Planned Parenthood Canada, so a leading advocate for sexual health education and rights both in Canada and on the global scale as well.
3: I'm Matthew Johnson, and I'm the Director of Education for Media Smarts, which is Canada's Centre for Digital Media Literacy. Media Smarts has been around actually since 1996, and our mission is to ensure that Canadian children and young people have the critical thinking and ethical decision-making skills they need to actively engage with all of the media that they use and consume. That covers a tremendous number of different topics, everything from online relationships to body image to gender representation in media to accessing and recognizing reliable health information about all kinds of aspects of healthy identity and sexuality. And, of course, managing online relationships and dealing with relationship conflict online and technologically facilitated violence. So what we primarily do is we provide resources for parents and teachers. We have a website, mediasmarts.ca, which has hundreds of free digital media literacy resources ranging from lesson plans to videos to educational games to parent tip sheets to guides. We also have a small number of resources that are designed to be used directly by young people. We also do original research with youth. We've been conducting since the year 2000, a research project called Young Canadians in a Wireless World. It's actually the longest running research project on youth and digital media literacy in the world. We're in the middle of releasing the data from phase four at the moment. And we also conduct awareness efforts. So we do media interviews on a wide range of topics. We partner with other nonprofits and with academic organizations and broadcasting regulators, intergovernmental bodies like OECD. And we present our material and share our findings with government
0: committees and arm's length
3: government agencies like the Office of the Privacy Commissioner.
0: Emily and Victoria, talk about SRH Week both what it is in general and what it's about this year.
1: SRH Week, it's a yearly campaign that's put on every year. And the main focus of it is to just raise awareness on different issues surrounding sexual health and wellness and reproductive health and wellness. And it's really just a huge campaign to get the word out about different resources and to improve the scope of sexual health education in Canada.
2: This year's theme is Get the Facts, So it is specifically focusing on how we find accurate and accessible sexual health information. It's going to be running from February 13th to February 17th of 2023. We're going to be providing a lot of resources, which includes this podcast interview. There's going to be a webinar for clinicians on how to learn more about gender-affirming care hosted by the Public Health Agency of Canada. We're going to be having articles on media literacy, abortion information access, finding pro-choice pregnancy supports, misinformation around the world, and a guest post by Canada's chief public health officer, Dr. Teresa Tam. Additionally, we're going to be having print and digital resources that are directory pamphlets featuring reliable sexual health educators from across Canada. We're going to be making them available and free to download from srhweek.ca, as well as we're going to be having social media toolkits available also on srhweek.ca for people who want to help celebrate.
0: What exactly is the state of access to information related to sexual and reproductive health and rights, particularly among young people?
1: One thing about information, especially among our generation, is that thanks to the help of social media and the internet, there is quite a lot of factual and helpful information that's being put out in the media and on platforms that are accessible to younger generations or people that do prefer text over print. But the thing that comes with that is while there is a lot of very good factual information, there is also a ton of misinformation and disinformation. And one thing that I've seen personally is there is a large lack in understanding of how to tell the difference between the two. I find that people may not be as vigilant in fact-checking things, especially if they're coming from an influencer or, you know, a social media personality. There is kind of a delay or not so much of a response to, you know, taking in that information and questioning it or perhaps just looking further into what the topic at hand is. Just in general, whether it be about sexual health or otherwise, I think that there's a lot of just one source information or only coming from one place. And there's a lack of diversity in where that information is coming from. So especially when younger people see a celebrity or someone that they really like their TikTok videos or their Instagram posts, and they may take something that the person had intended to post as an opinion as fact information that young people
2: currently have access to is oftentimes very cis, hetero and white oriented, which is not applicable to everyone's situations. So right now, I think the movement that we should be pushing more towards is how do we make that information more inclusive for everyone? For example, trans inclusive, how to make it more pro-choice and how do we make it more culturally sensitive and inclusive as well? Another thing that I find, which is the barrier for accessing factually correct information is the misleading headlines that we always see. Like it's a very fast paced society and they don't have time to fact check themselves. So sometimes, you know, if they see a misleading headline that is a very clickbait, then they might take that as the correct information and take that as the fact.
1: There is an incredible amount of clickbait and an incredible amount of people or sources that take advantage of the fact that many people may not click into a link to read in something further or look further than the Instagram caption that they're posting. So I think that, again, it ties back to that lack of questioning what's coming towards you or looking into it deeper.
2: Some of the impacts that I have noticed is that some of my friends would like use the information that they hear and they would take it as the ultimate source for the information. So for example, if there are like issues around maybe like having the first sexual experience or whatever, and if there are disinformation out there, then they will take that as the source and they will feel maybe like guilty about having sex for the first time, or maybe they will believe in what that information has been trying to tell them. So that is very detrimental because of these impacts of like the psychological effects
1: that it has when we're talking about disinformation and misinformation and particularly when an opinion is posted and declared as fact i'm thinking specifically of there's a lot of mention on social media very shameful i find towards people who are taking plan b or emergency contraceptives a lot of popular like meme accounts or you know popular culture accounts will poke fun at people who have to take that for whatever reason And I think that's just one example of how stigma is very easily created through misinformation and disinformation and opinion-based information that's not fact that is often taken as fact.
3: Certainly, when we look at access in general, as Victoria and Emily mentioned, thanks to the Internet, if you have Internet access good information is available. And we do know that the vast majority of Canadian youth do have internet access, either at home or in some cases out of the home, like in a library. But that statistic still can include pockets where there is no or very limited access and we also know that the ability to access something that you might not be really comfortable with other people knowing that you accessed it is not universal. You know, Having access to the internet doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to feel comfortable using the internet in your home to look up sexual health information. Depending on how you define it, we know that among high school students, about one in five tell us that they use the internet to find information either about sexuality or sexual health or about relationship issues. And we do know that that number is significantly higher among non-cisgendered or non-heterosexual youth. It's almost twice as high. So there's clearly a need for sexual health information that is more inclusive and that does not Start from the assumption of a cisgender or a heterosexual youth. And the third step, of course, is being able to find good information and recognize good information when you found it. We do know that when we compare the phase four data that we're going through right now to the phase three data that we released a few years ago, In general, young people are using more and better strategies to verify information, and they're more likely than they were in phase three to verify information outside of a school context. There's definitely more of an awareness among young people, and I think people in general, that we need to verify information. Part of the issue is that, first of all, we know that there are Quite a few people who are intentionally promoting disinformation about sexual health topics, whether that is disinformation around transgender issues, whether that's disinformation around sexual orientation, whether it's disinformation around abortion. There are organizations that are doing that, and youth in general don't have the skills they need to recognize when something is coming from a source that has a bias of that kind. Because a lot of the older ways of verifying that youth are in many cases still being taught, things like the CRAAP test, CRAAP, rely very heavily on looking at what an organization or a website says about itself, which made sense in an information environment where you could assume that people weren't just flat out lying about who they were or just things in general. So a lot of our resources around this now are based more on what's called lateral reading, where you actually don't take the source's word for anything, and you don't look too closely at the source until you verified that it is reliable and that it's not coming to you from a place of bias. But the other thing that the research has shown is that for most young people, in fact, the issue is not that they are not skeptical enough, but that they are equally skeptical of all sources what's sometimes called trust compression, where because they don't know how to verify a reliable source and because they've been told in many cases, many, many times not to trust everything they see online, but they haven't been told how to find out what they can trust, they're equally skeptical of every source. And what that means, of course, is that you're just going to base your trust on other things like your personal feelings towards someone or your parasocial relationship with someone. So for instance, if it's an influencer that you have a good parasocial relationship with, you're going to trust them on that basis because you don't know how to verify whether or not something is really reliable. So that's why most of our materials, including our materials about verifying information on sexual health, don't just look at how to debunk false information or recognize unreliable sources, but also focus on how to tell when something is reliable and how to find reliable
0: sources. How is this year's SRH Week campaign intervening to counter some of this misinformation and disinformation that's out there?
1: As Emily mentioned in the beginning, there's a bunch of different resources that actually Hannah will be putting out this interview, various articles, lots of just different resources So really, our theme just ties back to this whole issue of just getting out the facts, but not only getting out the facts, but getting out the message of how to understand the facts and how to know that something is a fact. Not just during SRH week, but Action Canada does a lot of work to really push a message of sexual health education that's not only just factual, but also non-judgmental and non-coercive in nature and information and resources that take a harm reduction based approach that are trans inclusive and pro-choice and don't compromise the will of any person.
0: So why is it important to have a campaign around this stuff like SRH Week that is, you know, kind of grassroots and certainly based in civil society, rather than just counting on existing mainstream information systems like schools and mass media and so on to do all of this?
1: one thing that's really important about action canada as a whole and then them putting on this campaign is that when we think of how especially younger demographics are viewing information perhaps from bodies of authority like the government or you know your health services in your province while they are reputable sources i think it's really important that there is an organization that obviously has the expertise that has the right information and that is more so a neutral third party I find that a lot of younger people are a bit apprehensive to our traditional structures and systems in society that is rooted in colonial violence and how there has been a certain bias in a lot of information coming from authority for a very long time. But I think that Action Canada putting on SRH week is incredibly important to be a trusted source for people who are looking for this. I think that young people, especially, they may know that something is coming from quote unquote, the right place, but they still may not trust that information because of the other actions of that same body. Mass media and also school systems are often
2: funded by the government. So there is potentially some bias there. And then also I know that depending on which school system you went to, you might have been taught maybe information that is often misleading. Like, for example, if you were from the Catholic school system, you might have been taught that abstinence is absolutely the way to go. But we know that in society nowadays, sex and you know topics around sexual health is more complicated than that. The information that we're putting out is truly trying to be inclusive of everybody out there and actually make that information accessible.
0: As we've already noted, misinformation and disinformation cause harm in some pretty uneven ways. Queer and trans youth, for instance, tend to be targeted in all sorts of ways, and a lot of disinformation about abortion is pretty intensely misogynistic and transphobic, and the unjust character of the information ecosystem as a whole tends to disproportionately impact LGBTQ people, racialized people, and so on. So how do SRH Week and other activities of both of your organizations specifically counter some of that inequitable impact?
3: Teaching youth and people in general to investigate the source of information and recognize what makes a source less reliable or possibly makes them biased is a way of recognizing that you know the demand for mis- and disinformation is equal <laughs> across the spectrum, but the supply absolutely is not. And certainly, as you say, there are certain groups that are targeted more often, and also groups that are more often, you might say, demonized. Groups about whom there is more disinformation being spread, and where there are organized campaigns of disinformation aimed at them and who are in many cases used as rhetorical tools for broader political ends. And so we need to teach the kind of lateral reading and critical thinking that we cover in our materials so that you can understand, for instance, what is the difference between some of the kinds of unintentional or bias that you might find in legitimate news. For instance, news organizations are always going to be biased towards what is newsworthy and may have biases that are unintentional based on who works there, but also in many cases, in the case of a legitimate news organization, have processes to try to mitigate that bias and understand that there is a qualitative difference, a difference of kind between those sorts of biases that are found in every source, and a source that has bias essentially baked into its very being, like some of the organizations that are directing these disinformation campaigns.
0: What can we be doing at a more collective level or systemic level to make change in the information systems, whether that's social media platforms or schools or governments, that are an important part of how at least some kinds of oppressive mis- and disinformation circulate in the first place?
3: I would say that a part of this is teaching young people about their power as citizens and as consumers. That one of the benefits of being online is that we all have a voice, and we can use that voice to change things in our online spaces. We can use that voice to change the values of our online spaces. We can use that voice to change the ratio of good to bad information. Our information ecosystem isn't affected only by our decision not to share bad information, but we can actively improve it by sharing good information. And we can also use digital tools to participate as citizens to change how governments do things, to change curriculum. And we saw that in Ontario a few years ago, where there were a number of, uh, I think it was a pair of high school students who lobbied to have consent added explicitly to the health curriculum in Ontario and did so. So, a really important part of digital media literacy is teaching young people and all people that they have the power to use digital tools to make a difference.
2: Another important thing is for young people and all people to also like question the people that are in power or in authority. Like, is there a diverse board of directors? Is there a bias on the board of directors? And maybe if there isn't as much diversity, then maybe are there ways for you to get involved to make that board of directors more diverse, whether that is culturally diverse or trans inclusive or being more aware of the 2SLGBTQIA plus community? Are there those peoples on the board of directors and are they able to make a difference? I think it's
1: really important, again, that we just make sure that there is involvement from the communities or the demographic or groups that the information or the source is trying to reach. So if an organization is putting out perhaps not disinformation, but maybe misinformation around abortion or emergency contraceptives, then maybe we should be taking a look at why or how, what is their motivation behind that? And it comes down to that fact of questioning where you're getting these sources. So why are we allowing these bodies to put out this information? It really just comes down to questioning those bodies that are putting out this information and really looking at what they're saying. Like, do they have a harmful motive? Are they intending to shame people? Are they intending to perhaps direct people to a certain you know, moral standard? and it comes down to questioning why and pushing bodies on why they are still continuing to do so. When we empower young people especially to understand what kind of information is being put out to them, then they are more empowered to speak up about it.
0: You have been listening to my interview with Emily Tang, Victoria Romero, and Matthew Johnson about SRH Week 2023 and about mis- and disinformation around sexual and reproductive health and rights. For those of you who only encounter Talking Radical Radio through the show itself, this is a heads-up that the show will be ending its 10-year weekly run at the end of February 2023. And you can look at the pinned posts on our social media accounts for more information. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.